He is greater. He is our high priest. He is our great high priest. Come before him with boldness and confidence. Come before him on your knees and watch God rock your world. Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you. It's great to be celebrating with you, lifting up the name of Jesus with all we've got. Whether you're joining with us online or you're here in person, man, we are all about Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen, man. May we not miss that. It is all about him lifting him up through our day, through our week. And obviously, as we rally together here, we are a church that is gathered together for the name of the fame of Jesus Christ. May God get all the glory. And man, we're in a series called Greater. And we've been walking through this series. In fact, this is the last week of this series. We're moving through Hebrews pretty fast. And so Greater, Jesus, my high priest. And we're talking about him as our mediator, the one who stands between us and God, the one who brings us life and hope and forgiveness, the one who covers our sin, Jesus Christ. He is our great high priest. He is greater, right? Everybody just say, he is greater. He is greater. That's what we're studying. That's where we're walking through. So turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 4. Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 4. And as you're turning there, I'll just address the obvious in the room, right? But you can see where the LED wall came in this week, and we were able to get that set up. So appreciate our worship team, our production team that just took all week long working with the outside guys to be able to get this put up and in place. This was no small effort to get this up. And women's ministry was able to have these LED walls up yesterday and cranking. So super big shout out to the production team and all that they had to do. Appreciate you guys. Love you. Thanks for all the work. It's awesome. And, uh, and there's a couple of things I love about this. One is obviously the worship production killing it. Our elder team love the heart of the stewardship of our elders. Just so you're super clear, like this is already all bought and paid for through the giving that's gone down. So this has uh, just been part of the budgeted plan as we moved forward with uh, having mortgage done. We can start to do some uh, maintenance and fix up and this is that. But we get more than that out of it. We also get this, you ready? Check this out. Nothing. There's no fan sounds going on that just filled the room with fan noise all over the place. So we get this nice, quiet atmosphere in here and praise God for that as well. Look, it's just been awesome to be able to rally together and it'll give us a lot of opportunities to explore different ways to be able to continue to worship Jesus Christ. May this be all about Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, Amen, man. So as we dive into Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 4, uh, point number one here, uh, learn. Learn from Abraham's worshipful, humble response. Learn. Learn from Abraham's worshipful, humble response. As we dive into the passage, just remember the context. This is actually coming from Genesis chapter 14. And in Genesis 14, there was a king who was dominating, beating up all the other kings and all the other cities, uh, wiping them out and actually beating up kings from other nations. And, and there was a massive destruction going on. And in fact, at one point, that same king came in and took over Sodom, which is where uh, Abraham's nephew was, Lot. And so Abraham decided to go defend that uh, through interaction with God. He went forward with just a little bit over 300 guys 
And he went after this king that had been dominating massively and God provided in a huge, huge way. And as God provided, he was able to win that war fast. Abraham was, take it over in that one night. They ended up taking some people captive. They took a ton of property as loot, kind of taking it back and they were gonna get some of that returned. And as they're bringing it back, also being able to make some of that theirs. On their way back, they came in contact with Melchizedek. And there's nothing really written about Melchizedek. We don't know anything about his genealogy or anything before this or after this, but this one story. And Abraham came in contact with him and the greatness of Melchizedek, his name alone means Melchizedek in the Hebrew, Melchi, king, Zedek of righteousness, king of righteousness and king of peace. And as Abraham came in contact with him, just stunned by the greatness of this one who represents a kind of intermediary role between man and God. And so Abraham's spending some time with him. Melchizedek gives a blessing down to Abraham and Abraham takes a tenth, 10% of everything he had just taken in that war going like, God gave all of this. And as he poured it on us, so now I'm giving it back. And he gave 10% back right then and there, gave it to Melchizedek saying, give this to God Almighty, may it be for him, may he get all the glory. Man, may, just, may we realize this, our worship is lit up when we give. And we need to recognize that all that we have is because God is pouring it into our lives. So as God pours down so much into our lives, may we give a little back to him saying, you're a giving God. Lord, I long to mirror you and give back to you. I worship you. And all of God's people said, and Abraham was doing that, giving back to Melchizedek. So here we go as we jump in to chapter seven, verse four. It says, see how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of his spoils. See how great this one was. Now, it's super important that you grasp great is the emphasis. Melchizedek was being responded to because of his greatness. He is, everybody say great. And that's going to be a really big deal because it's going to be contrasted with all the other priests under Levitical law, which aren't there because of greatness, just because of command, okay? But Melchizedek, well, he is there because of greatness being responded to by Abraham. It says, see how great this man was. Now, just so you know, it says this man. In the original language, that word man is not there. It doesn't say this man. It says this one. It's using the word this, and it uses it as a noun. It just says this one. And then they've now here translated as man. There's nothing wrong with throwing that in. But if you're wrestling with who is Melchizedek, is he man, or maybe even Christ himself, this word here is not actually man, like it takes it away from being Christ himself, just so we're super clear on that. It says, see how great this one was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of his spoils. He tithed. He took 10% of what he had made from the war and he gave that 10% to Melchizedek to give to God himself. He was actually worshiping in the midst. And he's like, see how great he is as he responded. He says, and those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law. And so he's like, let me just make the contrast. There's uh, Melchizedek who is awesome. He is great. And then there's the Levite priest. So let's make sure we understand this, get the lay of the land, okay? So you have Melchizedek up over the top. He's this great, stunning priest, obvious in his greatness just by coming near him. 
Melchizedek, Abraham was under him and ended up tithing in and receiving blessing from. Abraham under him. Under Abraham is the whole nation of Israel. And down under the nation of Israel, you end up with the 12 tribes, right? God ended up building the nation of Israel through the 12 tribes. By the way, God loves to do things with symmetry. And so in the Old Testament, he built the nation of Israel with 12 tribes. As he went to build the church in the New Testament, Christ had how many disciples? 12, right? And so 12 tribes and then the 12 disciples. And you see this commonality going on. Well, in the 12 tribes of Israel, 11 of those tribes were giving and tithing and working. And one of those tribes was the Levites. And that's just named after the different sons underneath uh, Abraham, the sons from Jacob, actually. And those 12 tribes there, Levi is one of the names of the guy. And so his people, all of the people under Levi were priests. But they weren't priests because of their greatness. They were priests because, well, because the Old Testament law said, make the Levite priests the priests. Make the Levites the priests. Let them have that role. So it was just a role called out in law, a responsibility that they had through it being called out to them, not because of their greatness, just because of the assignment given. It says that they have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers. <clears throat> they had an assignment to take tithes, to collect 10%. And they collected this 10% from the 11 other tribes and those 11 tribes would then tithe into the priestly crew, the Levites. And in fact, that would end up covering their life and living for the Levite priests, but it also would cover the ministry going on. And so the other 11 tithed 10% that covered this one tribe to be able to do all the priestly duties, okay? That's what he's saying. They collected from the other people, that is their brothers. In other words, they're all equals. They basically are all just uh, offspring from Abraham, kindred, if you will. They're just like each other. They're human beings. There's no greatness to the Levite priests, but there was an assignment, a role from the law. Melchizedek, now he was responded to because of his greatness. These guys are responded to because of assignment, the law. That's all he's asking for it to be understood. Now, let's just Take this, he says, they have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is their brothers. Let's just go on a little bit of a rabbit trail for just a moment and talk about tithes, right? We don't talk about tithes much around here, and I just want to make sure we make it clear. So in the Old Testament, there are three different tithes that you would see given, okay? Three different tenths given. And you may want to write these down. The first one is called the Levitical tithe. The Levitical tithe, that's Numbers chapter 18, verses 21 and 24, Numbers 18, 21 to 24, and that's the Levitical. They were tithing that 10% to be able to care for the priests and to allow the priests to buy and use whatever they needed to do the ministries, sacrifices and all of that, okay? So the 10% there was tithed in order to cover the priestly duties, if you will, and uh, that's the first tithe. The second tithe is, for lack of a better word, we'll call it a celebratory tithe or a feast tithe. That tithe was given and they collected it off of all of their kind of grains and whatever they made through farming or selling animals or property or whatever. They would collect that together and then annually they would celebrate. God's like, I've given you enough so that you can take some of it and enjoy it. Celebrate with it. God actually wants you to enjoy what he's allowed you to have. 
And celebration and feast was a part of it. And so they had a feast, 10%, a tithe was given for that. So, you know, today we're not quite the same agrarian society. Some are still farmers, but many of us making money in different ways, in different fashions, but we can still celebrate. In fact, honestly, taking a vacation moment and recognizing God has provided into this family and we can have a break together and we can enjoy together and laugh together and maybe go off to a different place together and spend a little bit in that. There's nothing wrong with that. And seeing that as a part of a thank you, God, make sure that your vacations have a massive thank you, God. Thank you for providing. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for this family. Thank you for the smile you're putting on our face as we relax right now. It's a huge deal and a great lesson for us to learn from Old Testament guidance or suggestion there. And obviously a lot of them, the law is fulfilled in Christ. So we don't need to be fulfilling these tithes today, but good for us to understand what was out there. Levitical, celebratory, and the third one is kind of a poor tithe, if you want to call it that way, a poor tithe. It was given to cover the needs that were out there. That was given every third year, they would give 10%. So if you want to say it this way, 3% per year on average, kind of, you will, right? And so they basically gave 23% per year in tithing elements that would end up covering needs, needs of the priests, needs of the ministry, needs for celebration and massive thanksgiving to God, and then needs for covering those who were poor along the way. And that was their taxation structure. Now, obviously, we're in a different taxation structure today, and Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law. So we're not called to sit under and tithe according to the law. Jesus fulfilled it. Everybody say, it's fulfilled. It is fulfilled. But 2 Corinthians chapter 9 does talk about still giving. It's not like we no longer give. We give because our God is a giving God. We give because we're mirroring him. He is awesome. And so we're giving back as he pours onto us. We give some back saying, thank you, God. You are awesome. I worship you in this. It's a huge part of our worship. And in fact, 2 Corinthians 9 talks about giving not sparingly. Like don't hold it back willingly, cheerfully, with a smile on your face, excited to be able to give to God. If you're like, well, what number should I be giving? Well, obviously when God made a law, he ended up locking in on these 10% kind of numbers, right? So it's not wrong to start with a guidance like a 10th, a 10% to be giving. But whatever you choose to give, give cheerfully, give excitedly, give worshipfully, not sparingly. Your God has lavished it on you. Keep giving back to him. Does that make sense? Just a little side statement on it. Tithe is a very Old Testament law kind of understanding, but it's a great principle for us to understand how to give into, all right? So back to the main point here that he's talking about, the greatness of Melchizedek in his comparison to the Levite priests. He said, though these are descended from Abraham. He's like, I've already made it clear. These are brothers they're collecting from these Levite priests. There's nothing great about them. They're just following what the law said to do. These are just their brothers, these are just their kindred spirit. These are just others who have descended from Abraham just like them. They're all like one another. And so they're not there because of their greatness, but they are there because of assignment, though these are also descended from Abraham. He says, but this man, everybody say, that's Melchizedek. And just so you understand, it doesn't say the word man in the original language. It says, but this one, that's what it really says, okay? But this one who does not have the, his descent from them, he's like, just so we're clear, Melchizedek didn't come from Abraham and he certainly didn't come from Levi, way down the line, right? Abraham was here, Levi some couple hundred years later. 
And so Melchizedek, he's over Abraham. Abraham sees the greatness of Melchizedek and is responding to that. Somehow Melchizedek being much more um, stunning in nature than all those around him. And Abraham responding to him in his righteousness and his peace and his glory. May God get all the glory. So this man, Melchizedek, does not have his descent from them, but he received tithes from them and blessed him who had the promises. He received tithes from Abraham and from Israel. He's receiving because of his greatness. He's not assigned by God to be one of them and just help collect it all. He's over it, an intermediary on it. He is great in every way. And Abraham saw that greatness And so he poured in his giving to Melchizedek. And may we follow that example. May we grasp that model along the way. You know, as I was looking for an illustrate this week, I ran into this story. This is a true story, actually. Um, So it's on the west coast of California. There's a city out there. It was a fishing city. And as they kind of sat on the west coast out there doing their fishing elements, every night they would end up cleaning the fish and then they had to get rid of the guts from these fish and they would end up throwing them out. Now, what they found is as they throw them on the side, the pelicans would just swoop down and go after it. So they started just throwing them out on the dock and letting the pelicans come. Well, word got out amongst the pelican crew And they started getting thousands upon thousands of pelicans collecting in the area. And these fishermen would just skin and kind of clean the fish and throw the guts to the side. And these pelicans would just lop it up. And they got used to every night we eat as the fishermen clean their fish. And they started taking this on. Now, over time, the city actually decided, maybe this isn't the best plan. (laughs) Maybe this is a little messy and we need to change things. And so they shifted how they were handling the guts that were being thrown out. They had to be taken care of appropriately. And in fact, they even had a little bit of a down cycle in some of the fishing. And so there was no more of that out. And these pelicans, they just started emaciating. They stood there waiting every night for the fishermen to throw out something to eat. In fact, these pelicans had had other pelicans and they had now been trained. You sit here and you wait and it gets given to you. And the handout was no longer happening. They got so skinny and so frail, the community got concerned about it. They're like, what do we do with all these dying pelicans now? And so they ended up deciding to go and take pelicans from another area up the coast. They grabbed them, they caught them, they brought them down and released them amongst the frail pelicans. And all these healthy ones are like, dude, there are fish all over the place. So they're diving in, they're fishing, they're getting fatter and bigger and they're healthy and they're having their pelicans and the weak ones are watching them and they're like, dude, did you not get the memo? We stand over here and the fishermen give it. I don't know why they're not right now, but eventually they'll come over here and give it. That's what they do. So they stood there resistantly for a long time. Took them a little bit. They finally said, fine, maybe I'll go do what you're doing. And so they started diving in the water and fishing along with. And sure enough, they all started getting healthy again. And these pelicans started to get healthy enough that they started to spread out all up and down the coast. And you have a healthy pelican crew that fishes out there again. And the reality is, if you choose to follow or model after somebody that's teaching you the wrong way, man, it can mess you up. And I'm just telling you, this illustrate is like super important for society today right here and right now. Like our culture in America right now is like looking for the handout and just sitting on the dock waiting for it to be dumped in. Man, that is a terrible, terrible plan. May we work hard 
And may we appreciate what God pours into our life and give back to him in celebration. May it be all about Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, man, man, don't miss that. This is a huge deal. You know, scripture's even super clear on it. It says, he who does not work does not eat. Did you know that? New Testament scripture, he who does not work does not eat. Now, he's actually saying it more proverbially, like in general, if you tend to be lazy, it will tend to not come towards you. But the statement is saying, be careful. The responsibility we have is to work hard all for the glory of God and give back to him. And may we be cautious in who we follow and model. In fact, I'd even say it this way, not just he who does not work does not eat, but he who does not give does not worship. I'd even go that far. Like we need to be really careful. Giving is a part of our worship. May God get all the glory. And so here's the simple question. So who are you following as a model? Are you looking to God himself who is a great giver? Are you looking at Abraham who's responding and giving back? Maybe there's family members in your own family that are givers, man, and you're seeing that. Or are you learning to hold back, hold to self, and wait for the free handouts? Man, may we work hard and give back to God with all we've got. And all of God's people said, man, 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 pick your model well and worship well all along the way. Point number two, see Jesus as ultimately superior and bow in humble adoration. See Jesus as ultimately superior and bow in humble adoration. He says, it is beyond dispute. If we were to put it in our words today, we'd be like, it is so obvious, right? It is beyond dispute. Like this cannot be argued. This is just so painfully clear. And then he says what he's talking about. The inferior is blessed by the superior. The lesser is blessed by the greater. The one who has more pours it down into the one who has less. And if the one who has less is receiving from that one, anything you would tend to give back is actually just a give back in appreciation or thanks. The greater pours it down. The lesser is receiving. And at best is being able to give from some of that shared. There is a superior statement. And Melchizedek pouring on the blessing. Superior, he is greater. And Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek. Jesus greater in every way and pouring it down into our lives. You know, I'd say it this way, just using a metaphor, like a waterfall, blessing falls downward. Like a waterfall, blessing falls downward. Don't ever miss it. Don't ever take the moment of your life where you're receiving a blessing and say, it must be because of how awesome I am. May we recognize that as we pour in our efforts and our work, it is a great giving God pouring into our life. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, huge deal, man. Blessing falls downward like a waterfall. He says, in the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. Now, just so you know, he's going back to the talk of Melchizedek 
and the Levite priests. So remember, Melchizedek on top. Abraham ends up giving back to Melchizedek a tenth, a tithe. He's receiving a blessing. Underneath Abraham is this 12 tribes, and one of the tribes is the Levite priests, right? So he starts to talk about the Levite priests. He says, in the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. Now, we probably know what the word mortal means, especially if you watch Marvel movies nowadays, right? We know what the term mortal is, and we know about immortality, this idea of it talks about life and death, and so mortal means there's some kind of dying in it. But just so you know, the original language word here doesn't use a word like mortal. That's kind of an advanced word if you want to say it that way. It's maybe a little muddy in it. Here's what it actually says. It says, in the one case, tithes are received by dying men. Clear enough? In the one case, tithes are received by dying men. Like we all as human beings are wrestling with sin. We struggle with the penalty. The cost of sin is death and we are dying. It's in the ongoing ING form. They are on their way. They are dying along the way. Man, this world is short. Our lives are short. And the Levitical priests didn't have anything unique or great or special or eternal about them. They were human beings who struggled just like you and me. And they were dying men along the way. He's like, just so we're super clear, in the one case, the Levitical priests, they, received, uh, they were received by dying men normal human beings, just like you and me. There was no greatness to them. It was just their role. It says, but in the other case, everybody say, this is Melchizedek. So in the other case, in the uh, case of Melchizedek, the great one, in the other case, he says, um, by one of whom it is testified that he lives, it is testified that he lives. Now, there's something you have to do with this. If you believe that Melchizedek is just a guy, And it's just that scripture happened to not record his genealogy. And and he had a genealogy. He had a beginning and end. It just didn't get recorded. Then then in this moment, you're going to have to do a lot with this phrase, that he lives. Now you're going to have to play with it a little bit. You know, like there's no recorded death of him. You're going to have to make something a little softer of it. And there are those that think that's the right move with this. I will just say it actually says because he lives and he's comparing it to human beings who are dying. I think this is a big statement that is saying this is not a normal human being. This is someone so other, so greater. I do believe Melchizedek is Jesus Christ. And this is talking about him having life and life eternal. Jesus is God Almighty with no beginning and no end. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus. I think that's what's going on. Is this a moment of Jesus visiting in the Old Testament? And it's clear that he has this uh, living that's a part of it. Here's a little bit more proof that maybe he is meaning it to be literal. The next phrase he says is, one might even say, one might even say. Now, there's another way of saying that. I know I'm stretching it a little bit here. I'm going to stretch it a little right now, but this is some, you could kind of think of it this way even. One might even say, do you hear how the author of Hebrews, when he's stretching it, puts words in to let you know he's stretching it? But when he's saying it the way it is, then he just says it the way it is. And like this one, he is living. And this one, he has no beginning and no end, and he is priest forever. This one is our hope. That's what he was saying about Melchizedek. He didn't say, you could even say, he said it is. 
Now at this point, he stops and says, one might even say, poetic license. I'm gonna stretch it a little bit here, but you could even think of it kinda like this. One might even say that Levi himself who receives tithes paid tithes through Abraham. That Levi, so let's get our line right. We have Melchizedek, Abraham. We have the 12 tribes under, one of them Levi. Levi's collecting tithes. Time frame wise, we have Abraham collecting tithes. Hundreds of years later, we now have Levi. He's not living at the same time as. They're not existing at the same time. How can Levi be paying through Abraham? And he ends up saying, he paid tithes through him. He gives an answer right after it. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met Abraham. This is a very Jewish thought. But he's like, one could even say that because Levi hadn't even been born yet, that he's in the loins of Abraham. He still hasn't even had a kid who had a kid who had a Like he's not even in that spot, but he's with Abraham. He's in Abraham. And because of that, as Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, so now the Levite priests have tithed through Abraham to Melchizedek. Here's what he's really saying. Melchizedek is even over all the Levite priests. And Melchizedek is even over the law. I'm telling you, Melchizedek is greater. And all of those who have assignment under the law, well, they reported up in and gave through Abraham to Melchizedek. Huge statement about the greatness of, and I'll just say this is a very Jewish thought in nature. We see it actually in the New Testament in several locations. And uh, here's one verse for you. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. You may want to write it down. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. It's talking about the same concept. It says, in Adam, all die. Now, here's what he's really saying. You, if you go back to your parents and then to their parents and then to theirs and to theirs and all the way back, you end up back at Adam and Eve. You do. And so does everybody else who's a human being. We end up back at Adam and Eve. In fact, in a way, dude, you and I are cousins, just really distant. You know what I mean? But we all come back to Adam and Eve. And he's like, in Adam all die. Like when Adam made a terrible choice with sin and it ended up bringing about punishment and death, physical death, so we now have made that same decision. We are effectively carrying that same sin forward in us and now also the death gets carried forward to us. We weren't there when it happened, but in Adam, it happened. Are you hearing it? A very similar kind of concept. So the author's like, using that same kind of thing in a way it's sort of like he tithed in the same way. In fact, there's another portion to 1 Corinthians 15, 22. It says, in Adam all die. It also says, so also in Christ shall all live. And so now we have hope in Jesus Christ with the same imputation, the same assignment. As we are now in Christ, we are born anew. We are born again. And he is giving us his DNA, life eternal, poured out through the one who lives. Don't miss it, man. Jesus Christ, he is our hope above all hopes. And we have life because of him. He's like, look, as we see these connections through our uh, upline ancestors, if you want to say it that way, so then Levi was tithing even to Melchizedek himself, lesser tithing to the greater. He's saying Melchizedek is greater than any of the Levite priests, and Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek. Can you imagine how thunderous that is? 
for somebody to be saying to a Jewish person, by the way, you know all those priests you know that you're elevating pretty highly? Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek and greater than them. They sit under and tithe into. Make sure you get it clean. He is greater. Everybody say he's greater. Man, Jesus Christ, he is greater. It says, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met Abraham. There is this absolute statement of the smallness of the Levitical priesthood and the massiveness and the greatness of Jesus Christ as he steps on the scene. And if this is Jesus Christ stepping in, if this is a moment where Jesus Christ being Melchizedek is playing the role of the king of righteousness, the king of peace, the one who's sharing it across, whether it's actually him or a type, either way, but if this actually is him stepping in, check this. It's like you've gone to a play and you're watching the play. And in scene one, there's this character that shows up with a ton of power and authority. And there's this moment of massive creation and then an exit. And as you're watching the play, there's other scenes that go on, but in one of the scenes, he steps in and you're like, isn't that the same guy? And this guy playing a role in the play ends up sharing and interacting with Abraham. He gives blessing from God. He receives tithes back. He plays just a moment of his greatness on the scene. And then he's gone. People are like, who is that? As they're watching and wondering in the play. And as it moves along, all of a sudden, one of the scenes comes in. He steps in and it's all about him. It's about his birth, it's about his life, it's about his perfection, it's about him going to the cross and dying for us. It's about him rising again, bringing life and hope, Jesus Christ. The whole thing starts surrounding him and they're like, my word, this whole play's about that guy. This is what's going on, the thunderous statement of Jesus Christ as he enters in in a moment, enters in in a moment, enters in thunderously and know this, then he stepped back. But Jesus Christ will enter again. Another scene is coming. And when he comes as king of kings, yes, king of righteousness, yes, king of peace, king of all kings, written on his thigh as he enters on a white horse to put this place in line. All rebellion done, all sin over, absolute perfection for all eternity. Jesus Christ will reign. He is King of Kings. May we worship him with all we've got. Amen, man. (laughs) Hebrews chapter seven. It is chocked full of unbelievable depth. Let's simplify it down. Melchizedek, because of his greatness, is priest. All other mankind, because of the role they were given. And Jesus Christ is of the order of Melchizedek. He stepped in with his greatness and revealed a little bit of himself. And he is a mediator between us and God. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, amen. Let's pray. 